All right. I was surfing the internet a couple days ago, and I came across something that it just made me smile. I was very, very happy to see it. And I'm wondering if it might make you smile as well. We'll throw this news story here on the screen. The headline reads, Texas Town holds a 0.5K race for underachievers. That is not a mistake. It's not a 5K race. It is a 0.5K, a half a kilometer race that you can pay money for and go run and complete. They have had hundreds of people sign up for this race. They really have. It's going to be unlike any other race you've probably seen in the city. Um, For instance, there's a designated smoking area because... If you're running marathons, you probably are not smoking. But if you're running a 0.5K, hey, you could have a cigarette. It probably wouldn't be that big of a deal. Halfway through, so at the 0.25K mark, they have a coffee and donut station (laughs) in case you need to refuel. Everybody who attends gets a pint of beer and you get one of those black and white stickers, you know, that you can put on your car, and it actually says 0.5K. Now, by show of hands, how many of you guys would do that race? That's a lot of you guys. Absolutely. Yes. They bill it as a race for people who want to finish something. A race for people who want to finish something. Finally, I ran a race and I finished. Now, look, this is tongue-in-cheek. I totally get it. And I don't want to use this one story to draw these broad conclusions about the world that we live in. But can I just say this highlights something that oftentimes we take for granted? We live in an age of instant gratification, don't we? Yeah. I mean, in our world, you can run a race without having to train for it. In our world, you can have dinner without cooking. Thank you, skipthedishes.com. I almost made that my homepage the other day, and then I felt weird about it. I was like, this might be too much, and so I didn't. Maybe you don't want to order from a restaurant. Maybe you like cooking your own food at home. You don't even have to go grocery shopping. HelloFresh will hook you up. They send a box of fresh groceries to my house every single week so that we don't even have to go to the grocery store anymore, right? Um, Think about it this way. You can stream any song or any movie you want at the press of a button. Anything. Just a couple button taps, and you can watch or listen to anything you like. You can jump in the car, and in a few minutes, you can be at Calgary Airport, and within a few hours, you can be anywhere in the world. We live in an on-demand, instant messaging streaming live, prime delivery sort of world, don't we? And if you keep up with technological trends, like with 3D printing and things like that, life is only going to get more convenient and more instantaneous as the years go by. Now, look, I'm not complaining about that, okay? I love this instant culture that we have. I love the fact that we can get all of this stuff and all of this information at an absolute moment's notice. Um, Instant culture does not equal bad culture. But I wonder if all this instant culture that we're swimming in every single day, if it hasn't caused us to lose at least some of our capacity for deep and meaningful commitments. 
I wonder if the fact that we can get anything we want, we can change directions, go somewhere else, swap plans, swap people, we can do any of it in an absolute moment's notice. I wonder if it doesn't cause us to lose a little bit of our capacity for deep and meaningful commitments. Let me show you what I mean by that. You may not know these things. These are interesting statistics to me. The average job in Canada will last four years. My father-in-law just retired from the same company after 40 years. 46 years, get out of town. Who stays with a company for 46 years? Most of us don't even stay at companies for one-tenth of that amount of time. The average marriage will last eight years. Some of you guys are at the seven and a half year mark and you're like, yep, that sounds about right. (laughs) The average friendship, you will have friends in your life for an average of seven years and then they'll pass out of your life, okay? The average Canadian moves 13 times during their life. Some of you guys are like, 13 times? Who's gotta move that much? Some of you guys are like, I wish we had only moved 13 times. That's not too bad. The point is, we are a very transient society. We can get whatever we want, whenever we want it, And that means that we can shift midstream. We can go do something else. We can try another hustle. We can find somebody new. We can sever ties and walk away. In fact, it seems like the way we evaluate things in 2018 is we ask ourselves two questions. Number one, does this require a minimum of work? How much is this going to cost me in time or money or energy? And then the second thing we seem to ask ourselves is, does it make me happy? And if the answer is no to either of those questions, we cut ties, we walk away. We go find something that will require less work and somebody that will make us a little more happy, at least in the near term. So in the middle of this world that you and I live in, again, I'm not downing that. I think there are a lot of benefits to 2018. But in the middle of this world, where we have instant gratification and we have shallow roots, God introduces himself as someone who is completely different. Whereas we cut ties and walk away quick, we are fast to move on to the next big idea or the next hot person. God introduces himself to you and to me as somebody who is different. Faithful is the word that the Bible uses. Now, I think it's, in, it's actually because of the fact that we live in such a kind of shiftless and severable culture that God's character, that is his trustworthiness and his faithfulness, that's the reason it's so important. I think because our world is so chaotic and constantly changing, we need to understand and grab a hold of God's faithful, never-changing, trustworthy nature. So we're in the middle of this series that we're calling Four Things That I Wish You Knew About God. This is actually the third of the four, um, but don't worry if you're jumping in today, you're not gonna be lost, okay? We're looking at a passage in the Bible where God reveals himself to humanity. This isn't uh, you know, just me as the pastor standing up and telling you a few things that I think I know about God. This isn't your grandmother telling you all the things she thinks she knows about God. This is actually, at least the Bible claims, God himself revealing himself to us. And so uh, I'll give you a quick roadmap of where we've been, where we're going to be going over the next couple of days. We said a couple of weeks ago that God has a name. His name, his personal proper name is not God. God is a title. Instead, it's Yahweh. 
And so you'll see that in the text in a moment. God has a personal name. Then we said last week that God is love. And although that sounds very cliche, it has some very serious implications for you and for me. This morning, we're gonna talk about the fact that God is trustworthy. And then next week, we're gonna be talking about the fact that God is just. That is, he does what is right in every single circumstance. So we're getting these four things and God's self-revelation from a passage in the Bible in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter number 34, it's in the Old Testament which means it happened before Jesus came on the scene. Um, it's quite old. We're talking several, several thousand years old here. We'll put the verses on the screen. We want you guys to just follow along with us as we read this conversation between God himself and a man named Moses. We get to eavesdrop a little bit here on what's said. Exodus chapter number 34, verse number five, the Bible says, then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses. And God called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, I am Yahweh, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger. And then I want you to notice this next line, because this is where we'll be this morning. I am filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family can be affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. My guess is you're probably reading along with this and you're like, cool, cool, cool. What? What was that last line? Next week, next Sunday, we are going to dig into that verse. And I promise you, it is good. You don't want to miss next week. I, I challenge you to invite your skeptical friends. If you're like, hey, you think God is a jerk, you think he's mean, you think he's angry and judgmental, come next week because we're going to be talking about how this can be true and God can be full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Now, speaking of that word faithfulness, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Did you see that there in um, verse number... Uh, six, he is filled, he says, with unfailing love and faithfulness. Let me show you what the word faithfulness actually means in this passage. We've told you all along the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, wasn't written in English. And so the word that's used here, God uses to describe himself is emet. And that word, it means stability. It means trustworthy. It means reliable. It means firm. It means secure. It means you can count on it. It will be there when you need it. It's not flighty. It doesn't change course midstream. It means God himself is faithful, okay? Now, I want you to compare that description to all the people and circumstances that you've experienced in life. Have the people in your life been stable, trustworthy, reliable, never let you down? Never say they'll be somewhere and then don't show up? No. In fact, God actually contrasts himself with our typical experience. He uh, reveals himself as something that the rest of the world cannot be. He is faithful in a way that no one and nothing else can be. Now, we could honestly just pray and go to lunch at this point, okay? I could stop right there, and we have done justice to the fact that God is faithful. We can trust him. You can rely on him. And I could stop it right there. And some of you guys would think, this is the best message I've ever heard. But I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to do that because I know there are still others of you in the theater this morning 
And you're saying to yourself, now, wait a sec, Dan. If God is so good and so faithful, then why did I end up in an unhappy marriage? If God is so good and so faithful, then how come I'm 40 and still single? How come I ended up with this chronic illness? If God is so good and he is so faithful, he'll never let you down, how come I lost my dream job? If God is so good and he's so faithful, then why is our world filled with poverty and violence? Hmm? And I want to answer that question, or at least I want to give you an answer. I don't want you to walk out of here with questions and doubts and arguments that we never wrestled through. And so this morning, I'm going to do my very best to convince you that God is still good and he is still faithful in the middle of all of your troubles. I mean, wouldn't that be great? Like if you could walk out of here this morning and you could have a deeper assurance, you could have more confidence that there is a God and that he's looking out for you in the middle of our crazy, chaotic, callous sort of world. Wouldn't that be nice? All right, I'm gonna do my very best. I'm not promising you that I'm gonna convince you, but I'm hoping at least to give you some food for thought. Okay. Now, um, we've talked over the last few weeks about how in this self-revelation, God uses these very deep, meaningful words to reveal himself to us. He, he doesn't use kind of simple, straightforward things. When you dig into what these words mean, like the word emet, you find out that there is like a lot of deep water here. There are some very interesting nuances and some powerful truths behind these short and simple words that God tends to use. Now, what we find throughout this passage that we just read is that God is not making us mere promises. He is actually using covenant words, covenantal language. Now, covenants are actually key to making sense out of the entire Bible. If you can understand the concept of covenants, you can actually read the Bible cover to cover and have in broad strokes an understanding of why God acts the way that he does at different times throughout history, okay? Covenants are really important. They're key to you understanding um, why God seems different in the Old Testament than he does in the New Testament. They're key to understanding your relationship relationship with this stable, firm, trustworthy God. So let's talk for a minute about covenants because covenant is not a word that we use typically, is it? We talk in terms of contracts. We don't talk in terms of covenants, not in 2018. We talk about contracts. You have contracts all around you. Your, your job has shipping contracts and you have an employment contract with your company. You've never entered into a real estate covenant with a seller, have you? No, but you've had a contract with them before. Now, the difference between a covenant and a contract is so critical, I don't want you to miss it. It is really, really good. And I promise it can help you to understand better your relationship with God. So here's the difference between a contract and a covenant. In a contract, two people will agree to do something. And both parties say, I will do X if you will do Y. It's conditional. I will do this, but you better do that. And if you don't keep your end of the bargain, then I get to walk away. That's what a contract says. But in a covenant, two people come together and they agree, I'm gonna do X regardless of whether you do Y. 
No matter what, I'm going to keep my end of the bargain. There is no severability. There is no, oh, you didn't fail to live or you didn't live up to the uh, end of your agreement here. And so I get to cut ties and walk away. We live in a contract society, but God speaks to us on the basis of a covenant. Now, most people will assume that their relationship with God is also a contract because we tend to think in terms of contract. And so we say, all right, if I do certain things, like I'm a nice person and I go to church and I obey the Bible, then God is contractually obligated to do certain things for me. He's got to bless my life. He's got to keep me healthy. He's got to protect my family. I'm doing my end of the deal and God needs to do his end of the deal. See, in a contract, both parties are keeping score. In a covenant, there's no score kept. So if you have a contract relationship with God, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna keep score with God. And you're gonna judge whether or not he has kept up his end of the bargain. And you're gonna end up feeling let down disappointed, confused, hurt, even abandoned in some cases, because you went into this with a contract mindset. I do this, God, so you promise that you'll do that. You'll end up saying, God, I thought that you were supposed to keep me happy and healthy and wealthy. Why haven't you kept up your end of the deal? And in that moment, I believe God says, when did I ever promise that? When did I ever promise you? that I was going to make you happy, healthy, and wealthy. When did we have that conversation? What Bible verse did you read in which I promised you that was going to come about? You see, you and I don't have a contract relationship with God. We have a covenant relationship with God. And I promise you, you better be glad you have a covenant relationship with God and not a contract relationship with God. Because if God's blessing and his love is based on our behavior, then every one of us, including me, is in deep, deep trouble. Because I'll just be straight with you. You may not be willing to admit this, but I'll do it. Every promise I've ever made to God, I've broken. Every promise I've ever made to God, I have eventually broken. I'm pretty certain that the majority, maybe not all of them, but nearly every command in the Bible I have violated at one point or another. And so if I have a contract relationship with God where I say, God, I'm gonna do my part, then you have to do your part. If that's the way our relationship operates, I've already failed to keep my end of the bargain. I do it every single day. And so God would have every right in a contract to write me off to cut me out and to leave me in the middle of the mess that I have created for myself. But we don't have a contract with God. There is no place in the New Testament where God agrees to a contract with you or me or anybody else. There is no place where he says, now, if you do your part, then I'll do my part. And I'm glad that that's the truth. God has made a covenant, not a contract, with each and every one of us. How things turn out in my life is not dependent on me. If it were a contract, then God would pull back when things got messy. And yet God doesn't pull back when your life gets messy. He steps in. God doesn't write you off whenever you fail. Instead, he embraces you as a father. The Bible says that God is full of compassion and grace so that even when you fail to keep your end of the bargain that you somehow created with God, you still find yourself forgiven and restored. 
Why? Because you don't have a covenant, or a contract rather. You have a covenant with Almighty God. We judge whether something is worthwhile based on if it's easy and it makes us happy. God judges whether something is worthwhile, even if it's difficult or it would cost him his own blood. He is still willing to stay committed because he is a met. He is faithful. He is firm. He is stable. You can rely on him when you can't even rely on yourself. I love the way 2 Timothy puts this. Look at this verse. Even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In his core, your heavenly father is trustworthy. He is stable. He is firm. He is rooted. He won't change his mind on you. He won't change his character halfway through your story. You can trust him because even when you're unfaithful, he has to be faithful. It's a part of his nature. That's a covenant. Even if you do wrong, even if you don't keep your end of the bargain, he promises that he will see you through. You guys, this is so good. It is so, so good for you and for me. We have a covenant with our heavenly father, not a contract. Now, some of you are here and you're still saying, but Dan, you have not answered my question. Covenants, contracts, that's all good and well. But why? If God is so good and he's got this never-ending covenant with me, why didn't he step in and prevent Whatever, you fill in the blank. You've got it. You know what it is. We all carry that around. If he's so good, if his covenant is so perfect, then why didn't he step in and prevent that from happening? Okay? And you're right. God didn't step in and prevent it. He let it happen to you. But can I just resurface the question that I mentioned a few minutes ago? When did God promise you that he was going to step in and prevent anything from happening? When did he promise you? When did you have that conversation? When did he write that down in a New Testament Bible verse so that you would always have confidence that life is gonna be puppies and sunshine and no rainy days and no bankruptcies and no backstabbing? When in the world did that conversation happen in which God made you that promise? In fact, the way that I read the Bible, God promises you and me the exact opposite. Do you know what Jesus said in John chapter number 16? He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Okay, now, you've been going through your life thinking you and God have a contract, and if you keep your end of the bargain, you will never have trouble. That's not what the Bible promises you. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, businesses will fail. In this world, cancer happens. In this world, divorce is a reality. In this world, you may have to go through another round of treatments. In this world, your friends might betray you for 30 pieces of silver. In this world, you can be totally innocent and still find yourself nailed to a criminal's cross. If God didn't spare Jesus from trouble, why in the world do you think that he would spare you or me? Where does that idea of a contract come from? Because it certainly isn't found in the Bible. In this world, you will have trouble. Now, this is where it's gonna get good. This is why you came to church this morning. This is why you listened to me scream for the last 20 minutes. For this one thought, this one thing, 
And guys, I tend to hype stuff. I go home and I listen to every single sermon I preach because if you gotta listen to it, I should be listening to it. And I often find myself thinking, man, I hype things up a lot. I'm like, oh, this is the thing that's gonna transform your life. This time it's true. This really will. (laughs) I, I mean this, you guys. Oh, if I could get you to understand and believe this one thing, I would have 90% less pastoral counseling sessions. You would have 90% less heartache in your life if I could get you to just understand this one thing. God proves his faithfulness, not by pulling you out of life's troubles, but by walking with you through them. That's the promise that God makes to you. Now, you may not like that promise very much, You may say, no, I like the other promise that I created in my head where God protects me and keeps me happy, healthy, and wealthy. Too bad. (laughs) That promise doesn't exist, but this one does. God proves his faithfulness, not by pulling you out of life's troubles, but by walking with you through them. We had our Freedom Session graduation on Friday night. There were like 20 some odd people that went through a 28-week healing program, okay? It's like a, a freedom journey that they went on. And they all got up in front of their friends and family on Friday night, and they gave their testimony. And they said, this is where I was, and this is where I am now. And you know what they said over and over and over again? They said, I had all this hurt in my past and I was angry and frustrated with God because he let it happen. He never pulled me out. And these people who say they have now found freedom, do you know what freedom they have found? They stopped being angry with God for not pulling them out of life's troubles. And instead they started praising him for walking through those troubles with him. That was the difference between bondage and freedom for these people. People that are in this auditorium today. That was the difference. God proves his faithfulness, not by pulling you out of life's troubles, but by walking through them with you. Let me show you a couple verses, Deuteronomy chapter number 31. This is also written by Moses, same guy from the earlier passage. And he tells the Israelites, based on his conversations with God, he says, do not be afraid or discouraged for Yahweh will go ahead of you. He will never leave you or abandon you. That's the promise that you have from God. That in the middle of life's chaos, in the middle of the backstabbing, when the paychecks stop, when you have to move cross country, when your family member passes away, that you will not go through it alone. For as long as you believe that God's job, he is contractually obligated to protect you from all of life's troubles, you will be angry, frustrated, and in some cases even depressed because you fundamentally misunderstood what God is offering you. Now, look, you really don't even want God to pull you out of life's hard times. You really don't. I know you think you do, but in the long run, these hard times, these troubles that you face are actually for your benefit. Some of the best parts of your character And some of the very best experiences you've ever had were born out of times of great trial and heartache and pain. And so if God pulled you out, then you would not be you. You would miss out on so much of what the world is and who you are becoming. So you don't need to be pulled out of life's troubles. Rather, you need somebody finally in your life who is met. Somebody who is trustworthy, somebody you can cling to, somebody you can count on, somebody who will be there to answer your calls. 
He won't ghost you. He will be there every single time because he promises that he'll never leave you or abandon you. Look at 1 Peter, the last verse. 1 Peter chapter number five, verse seven. The Bible says, cast all your cares on him. That means Jesus, God. Cast all your cares on him. Why? Because he promises he will take all your cares away. You will never struggle once you become a Christian. Every Christian will always act like a Christian. You'll never be broke. Cast all your cares on him because he will take away every hardship that you might have to endure. That is not what 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says. It says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. This is the promise that God makes to me and to you. Not that he'll bail us out, but that he'll see us through. Not that you'll never go through heartache and pain. Guys, I've had so much heartache and pain in my life. But I believe and I've experienced that God is there with me every single second and every single step. Now, if that is true, then Yahweh offers you great hope because it means that the chaos of life is no match for the care of God. It means that your circumstances and situations can change, but God never will. It means that God won't pull you out of your difficulties, but he will pull you through. Cling to that promise. Find hope and refuge in that kind of immet, faithful, stable, trustworthy God, and your life will change for the better. I'm gonna end with two reflection questions. I just want you to answer these in your own heart and mind. What are you stressed and scared about today? Let's go ahead and name it. I mean, you're carrying it around. You think about it every 20 minutes anyway. So why not just say, God, today, you know how worried I am about the bank account or about my marriage or about my kids or about my job or about my mind, whatever it is, name it. Did you name it? Then I just want you to ask yourself, how might that change? How might my situation be different if tomorrow I woke up And I said, God, I don't expect you to pull me out, but I'm trusting you to pull me through. If you went through your day with that attitude, you would be more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loved you and gave himself for you. You would have victory in every single trial because in the end, God promises he will see you through whatever it is that you're struggling with. 